Amen. Hey, it's really good to, to be here this morning. You know, there's, there's no place I'd rather be than in God's house, worshiping my Savior King with a bunch of Jesus followers who are chasing after the heart of God. I, I mean, can you even believe what we get to do? That we get to praise God and that we get to be the family of God and that we are exactly who God says that we are. And uh, I got to do a disclaimer. Um, I'm on pain medication. You should have bought, I should have charged tickets to be here today, all right? I had had some oral surgery. I wasn't sure I was going to be here today, but I'm here. Um, And so I'm just, I'm, I'm laying out right out there right now, all right? It could be crazier. It's crazy sometimes, but the day could be the day of days. All right? <laughs> All right. In conclusion, we're done, right? Is, have I preached all right? No, kidding. It, 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 Thursday morning, as I was sitting at my desk working on today's message, our seventh in our series, Love Is. And hey, by the way, is anybody else out there besides me being challenged by, by this series of conversations? I mean, this love is thing, it's like, it's like the real deal. Amen? Amen. And I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and have said that these truths, they're working into their lives in ways that are making a real difference. Uh, back to Thursday morning, I'm at my desk uh, working, working on this next, fat, next facet of God's kind of love, and a song popped into my head. And here's some of the words Uh, that were playing in my head. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who wants a heart when a heart can be broken? <laughs> and, and, and no disrespect to Tina Turner, except for my singing, but love has everything to do with it. Love has everything to do with everything. And love is so much more than a, a secondhand emotion. And, and that's why since October the 13th, we've been unpacking this incredible description of God's kind of love found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd like us to stand and read it together. Um, we'll do one slide at a time, and I'll let you guys go first. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Let's just read this one together. Love never fails. You can be seated. 
Love never fails. I'm going to ask a series of questions, and if your answer is yes, I'd like to hear a resounding yes. Love. Do you want all of your relationships to grow, to be better, and to be healthier? Yes. Do you want the world to know that you really are Jesus' disciples? Yes. Do you want to do the only thing that counts and that covers a multitude of sins? Do you want to make God smile by obeying the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself? Yes. Do you want God to live in you and his love to be brought to full expression through you? Yes. Good. <laughs> then it's time for you to get serious about not merely studying about God's kind of love. Now, studying is good. However, living out our studying is so much better. It's what ultimately matters. So it's time to, for us to take all the study and to begin living out these powerful truths and begin pursuing patience, unleashing kindness, not envying, deflating your pride, and putting aside all of your rude, offensive, and disrespectful ways. Get it? And talk is cheap. And Bible study without Bible living is not good enough. Get it? Good. Now this morning, November 24th, 2019, we're going to look at another facet of God's kind of love. Love is not easily angered. Look three people in the eye and tell them love is not easily angered. And then ask them, so what's your problem then? (laughs) No, don't do that. Now, now the phrase not easily angered, it's actually just one word in the Greek language, paroxuno, paroxuno, uh, to sharpen, to rouse the anger, exasperate, easily provoked. There's actually an English word we get from that, paroxysm. I never heard of this word before. Um, Any sudden or violent outburst, it'd be a great hangman word, right? No one would get that. Paroxuno. Again, the primary meaning is to sharpen. And so it's referring to this edge that can actually cut someone. And when I think of the word, I, I get a picture in my mind of you know, a pair of scissors in the hands of a small child. Now, now, if you saw a three-year-old running around your house with a pair of scissors, what would you tell them? Stop running. Put down the scissors. And why? I mean, would you just watch them do that? No, because, you know, if they keep, they're going to either what? Cut themselves or they're going to cut someone else. And that's a picture of someone who's carrying around anger, right? That's easily provoked, right? They're going to, eventually, they're either going to hurt somebody else or they're going to hurt themselves. And so we should tell them, stop running and put down the scissors. Love is not easily angered. Now, now is anger always wrong? No. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin, which means the issue is not anger in and of itself, but instead in the way we express, in the way we choose to deal with our anger. You know, God gave us the capacity to get angry. And listen, sometimes anger is the appropriate response to a situation. I mean, when children are abused, 
when violent crimes are committed against the innocent, when terrorists blow up buildings and marketplaces, when vulnerable people are taking advantage of or neglected, when the name of Jesus is attacked, and when our brothers and sisters around the world are imprisoned, tortured, or killed, we should get angry. In fact, if those kind of things do not anger us, we should, we should check our pulse. Now, did God ever get angry? Absolutely. For the right things like sin and injustice. There's over 256 times in Scripture where we see God getting angry. Well, how about when, when God wore flesh and he walked this planet? Did he ever display righteous anger? Absolutely. Most memorable, right, is when he made the whip overturn the tables and he chased out of God's house the crooks and the money changers. See, God is giving us the capacity to get angry, but it must be managed. It must be controlled because anger out of control is very destructive. On the other hand, anger under control can be an incredible asset. For example, in May of 1980, Candace Leitner was extremely angry. You see, on May 3rd, 1980, her 13-year-old daughter, Carrie, was walking with a friend home from a church carnival when a drunk driver came barreling down behind her, hit her, threw her 125 feet, and she was killed. Um, he had just been released two days earlier from jail for his fourth DUI. Candace was understandably and rightfully angry. However, she channeled her anger the right way, and she founded an organization, most of you know, called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. If you go to the website, you'll find that they um, say that they have saved over 380,000 lives since they began that organization. Back in 1980, the annual death rate from drunk driving was 25,000 people a year. It's still kind of high, but it's now only 11,000, which is a 56% reduction. So anger's not always wrong. You ever got angry at yourself? Like you've gotten angry at yourself to the point that it motivated you to change, right? Okay, that's enough. No more of this. No more excuses. And you and maybe you started a diet, you began exercising, you got rid of a bad habit, you worked to improve your marriage or another relationship, you determined, I'm going to really start studying the Bible. No, anger is not always wrong. But many times it's very wrong and very destructive. And I don't think I need to tell you that we live in an angry world. And we live in, a, we live in an angry country. I mean, just turn on the news, scroll through your news feed, read some comments on an even slightly controversial topic, and you'll see rage and anger that's totally out of control. And I got to tell you, with the year 2020, now it's going to get even worse with the elections coming up. And we, and God's, we as God's people must always stand for what is right but do it in a God-honoring way, in a way that's not easily angered. You know, when it comes to anger, we need to accelerate slowly, right? Not fast. Anybody know what this is right here? That is a Porsche 918 Spider. It goes from zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds, right? We don't want to be that. We want to be this. That, that is a French electric car called a Mia, zero to 60 in 30 seconds. <laughs> All right, so when it comes to anger, you want to be a Mia, not a Porsche 918 Spider, right? And this morning, I, I, I want to talk about seven, 
rather six keys to managing your anger. So raise your hand if you ever struggle with anger in your life. Okay? Uh, Raise your hand if you think that if you could actually become someone who's not easily angered, it would benefit all of your relationships. Final question. You don't need to raise your hand. This is between you and God. But are you going to lean into his word with an open heart and open mind to work on your own issue with anger? Hope so. Now, before we do, I need to do two things. Number one, uh, you probably noticed in your program that it shows our upcoming budget. And and, um, I want to say a few quick things here. And we're going to vote as a body on December 8th, right, two weeks away. For the next two weeks, the elders and finance are available for questions in the cafe after church, or if you can't make it then, you can email them to set up a time. All right, you got two weeks to answer questions. On December 8th, we will simply vote, right? Get your questions in during that, during that time. And I just want to point out some things you may, you may notice. They'll pop up on the screen. You can see that our, our budget has increased uh, by $18,534. And some of the reasons you'll see, I'm pointing out the big items you'll see here. There's an increase in personnel uh, budget by 10927 due in part to uh, the new position of a children's ministry coordinator. Another increase you're going to see is an operational increase of about $9,000. And uh, last year we had like three AC units go down. We funded that from a building fund. This year we want to build in replacements into the budget itself, okay? So we're not pulling out of like our reserves that we have if you know, like we should all have in our own family bank accounts. There's a youth ministry increase you can see there, and that's because last year our summer conferences were also funded from a designated fund. This year they got to go back in the budget, all right? Hope that's making sense to you. Um, Next slide. Um, We had a mortgage decrease um, due in large part to the fact that we're refinancing with uh, Christian financial resources. Overall, our budget increase is 5%. And so if we grow by 5% in 2020, the medium income in Albemarle County is $72,000. So if three tithing families join us, we've met our budget. Or let's say we all give 5% more. Like if I'm giving $100 a week now, I say, you know what? I'm going to give $105. The budget is doable, right? You know, uh, I can't do $18,000. I can do 5% more. Uh, now, maybe you can do 18000 Go ahead. If you can, that's, that's cool. We won't stop you, right? And, and so, again, if you have any questions, now what I want you to do is to fold a piece of paper up and don't put gum in it or anything. Look at it later. Okay, put it away. We're available for questions, but I wanted to get some of that stuff out there. But, but now I, I want us to pray into the reason why we're here this morning, and, and that is to lean into God's Word and find some more about His kind of love. And, and I think this series is... Uh, the timing couldn't be better because love is not easily angered and in four days, need I say more, you're going to be with family and everything's going to be perfect. No hollering, no fussing, no rude people, no rude comments, right? The, the turkey's going to cook perfectly, right? You're going to remember everything at the store. It's, no, it's not right? And tensions. I mean, have you ever on Thanksgiving in your home experienced any conflict or stress or tension? Ever? I would think you have. And uh, what I want us to do is to pray. 
and we do this sometimes, so we're going to stand and pray in, in our circles that this Thanksgiving, wouldn't it be great if our homes in this Thanksgiving were full of patience and kindness and, and, and no one being rude and no one being easily angered, right? That would be good. I, I, I would vote for that, right? And so st- let's stand up and form our little circles. Remember, you don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. And, and you're just praying that, hey, that these truths, man, like this could be like an incredible Thanksgiving, that there'll be patience and kindness. And... All right, you, you guys are getting really good at this. And so, as soon as you form up your circle, again, you don't have to pray out loud, just, just pray for the people in your circle, for your family. On three, just pray away. You're smart people. Heavenly Father, help us this Thanksgiving and every day to be kind, to not be rude, uh, to not be easily angered, to not be proud, Father, to to not be envious. And God, help us to just pour out your kind of love and help us not to be, use this as a checklist for other people, but for ourselves, God. Help us to be respectful and humble and Christ-like and, and be prepared for all the things that will not go right because they won't. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, prayer makes a difference, right? You guys just pray for some stuff. And if you're in a prayer circle with like a family member, don't be like, well, you prayed in church not to do this, right? It always works better when you work on yourself, right? You know, it, our tendency, right, is, uh, well, you didn't do this. No, work on you, all right? I'll work on me, you work on you, and I think we'll all be better for it. Um, okay, if you want to deal with your anger in a good, healthy, God out of the way, number one, you've got to resolve to manage it. The Bible says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit, rather than anger ruling his spirit, than he who takes a city. You see, you have more control over your anger than you think you do or maybe care to admit. And Now, maybe you have said this or heard someone say something like this. It's just the way I am. I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I'm Latin. It's the way I was raised. I, I can't change. But that's simply not true. Because if that were true, then the gospel's a lie. Because the gospel says that we can change, the gospel says that we can be transformed, that we are new creation, and that we do not have to stay the same. That's why it's called the good news. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I don't want to be the same anymore. I, I want this love is to be a time when God brings about change in my life that will help me to live out his kind of love in ways far beyond I've ever lived out before. And part of that transformed life is to control my anger. To be someone who is not easily angered. So that's the first step. You know what? I've got to do something about it, right? Stop making excuses and do something about it. I mean, like, are we even going to try? Right? Are we even going to try? Number two, remember the cost of anger. You know, there, there is a significant cost of getting angry. 
I saw something happen on a Thursday night football a few weeks back. Let me show you a clip right here. Eight seconds left in the game. And they were winning. And heavy price tag. He suspended without pay the rest of the year. He, he was owed about $1.4 million left. Um, cost him a bunch of money, his reputation, respect from his teammates. And listen, his sharpened edge didn't just cut him, did it? Cut his team. I mean, he's a good ball player. He's a really good ball player, and now he hurt his team. Anger has a cost. I mean, has your uncontrolled anger ever cost you something? You see, we're less likely to get anger, angry if we remember, hey, the last time I did this, it, it didn't end up so well. There was a, a price I paid that I wish I didn't have to pay. Now, the Bible's very specific about the damage that uncontrolled anger does. Here's just a, a few samples. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Proverbs 15, 18, people with quick tempers do what? They cause trouble. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered person does foolish things, like hit people in the head with a helmet, like sends out a text or tweet that just rips someone to shreds. But bottom line, anger out of control always leaves ruin and destruction in its wake. I've seen it. You've seen it. Um, we, you've seen relationships destroyed, marriages destroyed, families torn apart, violence, hatred, bitterness, division. Like I said, you know, our, our country is at a high level of anger. A survey was done back in, back in June, and 94% of Americans said that Americans are much more angry than they were a generation ago. 42% actually admit that they're more angry than they were a year ago. And 9 out of 10 people say they're more likely to express their anger on social media or some other electronic way than in person. I call that cowards, right? That's just being a coward, right? Look the person in the eye if you got something with them, right? We're getting angry all the time. The costs are high. But here's perhaps the biggest cost. It damages your relationship with God. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You hear what I'm saying? You will never live the life that God desires you to live if you continue to be someone who is easily angered. You'll never live it. You will never live it. If you're a person who unleashes your anger easily in an unhealthy and ungodly way. Get it? Good. High cost. Next, you need to Reflect before reacting. Don't respond impulsively. Delay is a tremendous tool and a great remedy in anger management. I'm not talking about long-term delay where you bury it for weeks, months, and years, and decades. That's called resentment, and that doesn't work so well. Ephesians 4.27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. God says don't bury your anger under the carpet. And that's not a clock ticking, right? Because the sun go down pretty early. It, it, it says, it's not like, well, you know what? We got to deal with this because the sun's about to go down. No, he says, hey, you know, deal with it. Don't put it off too long, right? 
And not only is putting it off a bad thing, but it also gives the devil a foothold. That word actually means a portion of space marked off. In other words, hey, God, here's my heart and mind, and here's your guest room, devil. I got a place right for you to live and operate. That doesn't seem too smart. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See, see, it, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's to scare us, right? Anger and bitterness can cause us to miss God's grace and to lose the joy of our salvation. And the reason you want to reflect before reacting, number one, is it allows you time to calm down, to cool down, right? Before you say something stupid. Because when you get angry, right, man, I mean, that adrenaline gets going. Your heart starts being, your hands start switching, your eyebrows start raising, right? It gets crazy. And delay keeps you from saying something stupid and reckless. Before we put our mouths in gear or our you know, our fingers in gear to tweet or text. Let's allow our mind and our heart to catch up to our anger. Amen? And next thing we need to do in this delay is to analyze it. Now look at it. Dig beneath it and ask yourself, why am I angry? You see, anger is a, is a secondary emotion, Right? And let me explain what I mean by that. Suppose a guy comes home late for the fifth time that week without calling. And his wife is waiting at the door. And she is just spitting nails mad. He walks into the house and she says something like, Ever hear of a telephone? Why don't you put a cot in there? You spend all your time there anyhow. Don't expect turn down service at this hotel. What's she feeling at this moment? Yeah, I know she's angry. Underneath, what is she feeling? Maybe loneliness. Maybe she feels devalued, pushed aside, unappreciated, neglected, disrespected. You see, there's always a reason behind her anger. Now, now usually, it's usually one of these three things. Uh, we get angry when we get hurt, right? I mean, if you're banging a hammer on the nail and you hit your thumb, it, it hurts, right? And, and, and in relationships, when someone gets hurt, they get angry when they feel devalued or disrespected, they get anger. Hurt causes anger. Uh, another thing that causes when we get frustrated. Right? When things are not working out the way we want them to, frustration can lead to anger. And a major cause of frustration is unmet expectations. You, you see, we have these expectations of how things are going to happen, uh, of how things are going to turn out, and when they don't match and the uh, the wider the gap, the more angry we get. For example, you buy a Christmas present, and it says on it, some assembly required. Now, if it had said, this sucker will take you 20 hours of your blood, sweat, and tears, and still not look right, that's okay. But here you're on Christmas morning with bloody knuckles because it says some assembly required. And you're frustrated. Your expectation did not meet reality. I mean, for some reason, we expect traffic to be clear, things to go smooth, the DMV wait to be only five hours, uh, plays to be on time, and, and people to act the way we think they should act. But I hate to burst your bubble, but that is simply not life in a fallen world with fallen people. 
And here's some advice I want to give you and me for the remaining 37 days of 2019. Lower your expectations. Lower your expectations for Thanksgiving, right? I doubt Norman Walkwell is going to come there and paint a portrait. Not just because he's dead, right? But because whenever we're with a bunch of people, it's not always a Norman Rockwell moment, is it? Lower your expectations. This will help you in all your relationships, especially your marriages, right? So we tend to put expectations on people that are unrealistic. We don't even tell them about it. Then we hold them to it, right? And we get mad, right? Lower them. Third, we get angry when we are afraid. I mean, you push an animal to a corner, what do they do? They eventually they'll attack back, and people are the same way. When they're back to the corner, when they feel threatened, when they're afraid of some dark cloud, of some unwanted circumstance about to fall over them, or when they're, or when they're afraid about something they've hidden is about to be exposed, they get angry. So it's usually one of these three, you know, when you're, you know, these secondary causes and and the flip side of this, you know, when someone is angry at you, instead of focusing on their anger, focus on what, what might be the cause, right? Hey, are they hurting? Are, are they frustrated? Are they afraid? I mean, what is easier for you to deal with, right? The fact that they may be hurting, frustrated, afraid, or their anger, right? Look, look beneath the anger to what's causing it. Fourth, I mean, you need to release your anger in the right way. And, and, and there's, I want to talk about five, five ways you can release your anger. You know, four are not good. I have a picture of each one. Okay? Um, well, one I call the trash compactor. Think we, do we have a picture of that? There we go. Trash compactor. Right? We like these. I, I've never had one, but, you know, you, you don't have to take trash out as much. Right? But if you keep putting it in and putting it in, right, it may start smelling, and maybe eventually it's going to start leaking out. Same is true with repressed anger. People ask you, what's wrong? Oh, oh nothing, nothing. No, something has to be wrong. No, I'm okay, really, I'm okay. We do that. We stuff it down, we stuff it down, we stuff it down. We try to ignore it. We pretend it's not there. But listen, pretending isn't there doesn't work. In fact, suppression often results in depression, Right? Okay, another way is what I call the ventilator, okay, the ventilator, okay, and, and, and they, they do anything but push it in, they, they spew it out, and they're proud of their ability to spew it out, they curse God, they curse people, they slam doors, they squeal tires, they kick cats and dogs, they just let it go, but God says, don't be quick temper, for anger is the friend of Fools. A hot-headed, a hot-headed starts fight, a cool-tempered person tries to stop them. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Okay? A, a third way is what I call the prosecuting attorney. The prosecuting attorney. Jack McCoy. <laughs> if you're Law and order fan. Okay? And, and, you know, now maybe you're a smart person. Whenever you start to get ticked off and angry, you immediately start 
digging up the facts and putting together your case. You got exhibit A and you got exhibit B. You got witnesses. You got interrogation lamps. And you are so prepared and you're so much smarter and quicker than they are that you make the other person feel guilty even if they're not guilty. Like they can't debate you. The Bible says losing your temper is foolish. Ignoring an insult is smart, but you can't ignore it. Not when you have a chance to win. The Bible says avoiding a, a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. However, you can't let it go. Not when you can win, so you insist on quarreling. Now, now maybe you're not a trash compactor, a ventilator, or a prosecuting attorney. Maybe you're this, a stealth bomber. Uh, known as a passive aggressive, right? It's the person that flies low and flies quiet, waiting for the right moment to hit their target. A little barb of sarcasm here, a jab there, a dig here, a heat-seeking missile there, and boom, you got them. It's the kind of person who, who just quietly walks around the house or office and on the way out says, I'll see you later, your majesty. <laughs> Target sighted, sarcasm loaded, boom, direct hit, and you're out of the door. Some of you are top gun with this one. The Bible says the start of a quarrel is like a leak in the dam, so stop it before it bursts. God is saying, don't be the one to keep it going. But the stealth bomber's like, hey, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I just want to ding them up a little bit, right? I want to get my two cents in under the radar so they're not even sure I did it. But God said, if you do this, eventually the dam is going to burst and, and everybody is going to drown in your mismanaged anger. Therefore, if you struggle with stealth bombing, watch your tone, your sarcasm, your tactics, your body language, your timing, your tongue, your tweets. Now, when you're not handling anger the right way, like, what's your go-to? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I bet we have some trash compactors in here, ventilators. I know we have some self-bombers, right? You know, prosecuting attorneys. A temperature gauge is, is the best way because what does a temperature gauge a car does? It tells you how hot things are, right? And it doesn't pretend. It doesn't say, you know what? I, I, I don't want to make Steve feel bad today. So I'm going to act like things are cooler than they really are. No. Just say, hey, you know what? It's getting hot in here. And that's the right way to release your anger. Just admit it. Confess it. Then you're getting angry. First, admit it to three people. First, to yourself. And then say, why am I angry right now? Am I hurt? Am I afraid? Am I frustrated? What's, what's, what's behind it? And admit it to God. You know, God, I'm mad. I'm angry. God, they're getting under my skin. God, I want to go off on them right now. I want to unload. I want to hit hard and fast and deep. But I don't want to do that. Because that displeases you, and that's not God honoring. I want the life you have for God. Please help me not to do that right now. Then even admit it to the other person. Like, hey, I am really about to lose it. I'm feeling hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated. Could you give me some space before I say or do something stupid? To live out God's kind of love, we must learn to deal with our anger and deal with it in the right way. 
Resolve to manage it. Remember the cost. Reflect before reacting. Release your anger appropriately, right? The next is relate to people who aren't angry. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Is anger contagious? Oh, my goodness, right? I yell at you, you yell at me. Watch any of those stupid protests on TV nowadays. It's insane. It just ramps up. See, there's, there's some people that if you're around them, they're going to just make you angrier. Right? They're going to rub off on you. I mean, you come up from work or somewhere and say, well, this happened at work and it kind of upset me. Upset you? You should be mad. You shouldn't be treated like that. I mean, if I were you, I'd go back and I'd give them what for, whatever giving what for means, you give it to them. Find out what giving what for means, and then you go out and you give it to them. Here's the thing. If you want to break free from being easily angered, if you want to live like Jesus, you've got to hang around people who are pursuing God's kind of love, right? Which means you may have to distance yourself from some people that are just angry all the time. Even if they claim to follow Jesus. And I get that nobody's perfect anywhere. But church must be a place for people who want to grow. And now most people, and I hope you're one of them, who come to Maple Grove are making an effort to do what's right. Right? We're not perfect. But we're not, gonna, we're not content to live in our imperfection. Yeah, at times we're not patient, and at times we're not kind, and we envy, and we're proud, and we're boastful, and we're rude. But we're not content to stay there, right? And we want to improve ourselves, right? That's the kind of people to hang out with. The ones who don't even care to want to change, that's, you don't need to be around those kind of people. They're not going to help you. Does that make sense? And life group is a great place to meet people that are pursuing the same goals. Finally, we're about done. This will be a quick point, but you're, you're good. You're wonderful people. You've been more attentive. I mean, I could almost weep right now. The ways you got to lean in. Remember, I'm on medication. Get, cut me a break. <laughs> Rely on Christ's help. And, and in John chapter 5, there's one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. Jesus goes to this pool where sick people gather, and they believe that, you know, when the waters are stirred and angels stirring, and the first one into the pool that day is going to be healed. And on this particular day, there's a guy there, He's been lame. He's been going there for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to this guy, 38 years. He can't walk. And Jesus asks him a question. Do you want to get well? Seems like a silly question, right? Of course I do. Uh, this morning, November 24, 2019, another crowd has gathered, not by a pool, but, but in this room. And many here are hoping. Hoping to get well. Hoping for a more fulfilling and more purposeful life. And, you know, and if I could, I'd I like to rephrase the question Jesus asked the man in John chapter 5. And the fit in context with our series. We've been in for seven weeks. And kind of in your imagination, just you picture, picture Jesus walking through those back doors. Like, Whoa. You're not blonde-haired and blue-eyed. 
Go figure. And, and imagine them when you're walking up to you and asking you, do you want to go well? Do you want this moment to be your breakthrough moment? Do you really want to live out God's kind of love? Do you, do you really want to be more patient? Do you really want to unleash kindness? Do you really want to stop envying? Do you really want to overcome your pride by pursuing humility? Do you really want to be someone who casts off rudeness and strives to respect other people? Do you really want to be a person who's not easily angered? Do you want to get well? And listen, the question implies that our own individual wellness is simply waiting for our choice. See, your wellness is simply waiting for your choice. Do you want to get well? After all, God's alive and active word says, that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It says in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, when you picture yourself being kind and not rude and not proud, not easily angered and patient and not envying, right? And later on, as someone who does not keep record of wrongs, does that seem like a, like a stretch that that could describe you? Remember, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, he has the power, right? All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask, and we can become the kind of person that he wants us to be. And I think we would enjoy life a whole lot better if we lived out God's kind of love. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? God, you are awesome. And God, it's good to be in your house. Your word is so relevant and so practical. And God, if we rely on your help and you want to help us, this this love thing is a game changer. It doesn't have to be a Bible study, Lord. It doesn't have to be words on a page. We can actually be kinder people. We can actually be more patient. We can actually stop envying, Lord, and start enjoying all the blessings you've given to us. Stop comparing. We can be people who are not rude, not easily angered. God, in every one of our relationships, we'll get so much better. God, help us to fight the temptation to constantly look for the speck in our brother's eyes while ignoring the log in our own. If we leave here today only looking at other people, then we've missed the point entirely. God, help me just to look at me so I can be more like you and living out your kind of love. God, I do pray that this Thanksgiving, everyone in this room is a catalyst for your kind of love. God, that we help set the temperature in the room that looks like you no matter what happens. Jesus, we thank you for your love that you poured out for us 2,000 years ago on a bloodstained cross. Thank you for your body that was broken. 
because of love. Jesus, it's your love that we want to build our lives on. Amen.